You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Well, uh, buenos dias. No, no, that's the wrong language. I'm sorry. No, good. Good morning once again, Liebe Gemeinde, dear church. Um, just want to say, Pastor Haley, thank you so much, brother, for the opportunity just to briefly uh, share our heart and share a little bit about the Lord's work. If you uh, were here in the Sunday school hour, uh, you got to hear a little bit about that in detail. Uh, so just enjoyed um, already our time together. But uh, I want to I focus a little bit more this morning during this hour, uh, not just on God's work. And I, wanna, I don't want to overlook that, just gloss over that. God's, a, God's at work. He's not just a God who did things in the past, nor is He just a God who will someday do things in the future. He is doing things. He is at work today, right now. And so I, I appreciate your attention this morning. And as much as I recognize that and that I value that so much, I also know that what primarily what is going to make a difference in the lives of the German people that my wife and I are called to is the clear teaching and preaching of God's Word. Amen. So we've, we've shared a little bit about His work and talked about His work, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about His Word in just a moment, and I'll ask you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 16. But before I get to that, I just want to share with you a little bit more about who we are and what we're doing. For those of you who uh, just walked in, for those of you who do not know, as Pastor already said, my name is Fernando Padilla. My wife here is Amy uh, from Sioux City Baptist Church. And uh, God has called us to go to Germany, uh, not just for tourism or sightseeing or driving fast, uh, but to plant churches. And, and so in order to do that, we have to reach souls. Amen. And so just to share briefly with you a little bit about how God has been leading us and directing us, we uh, both graduated from Bible college, and then we did a three-year internship at our sending church, Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas. At the conclusion of that three-year internship, our pastor and church sent us for six months on a survey trip to Germany. And so this time was uh, deeply changing for us and very helpful. Uh, we had three primary goals while we were there. Number one was to learn the ministry. Um, we want to reach Germans with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're going over there. And so in order to find that out, in order to learn about that, we spent time with veteran missionaries who have been doing that for 30 and 40 years. We are the fifth family sent out of Hillcrest Baptist Church to go and plant churches among the German people in Germany. And so as you can imagine, there was a, a vast amount of experience available to us. They received us with open arms. We're so thankful for their help and their assistance. And there's so much that I can talk to you about. I got to preach through an interpreter also very appropriately called an interrupter and i am i am so one track minded i'm you know i'm thinking about this and then a distraction like a squirrel you know what what was i talking about so it just takes some getting used to i don't enjoy preaching through an interpreter so we're going to do language school i'll get to that a little bit in just a second um but there's so much that we could talk to you about germany i think if i could sum it up all to just one word that, that we walked away from uh, was just this, 
faithfulness. If we're going to do a work in Germany, if we're going to honor the Lord with our lives and with our ministry in Germany, it's going to require faithfulness. Now, that's kind of obvious. Like, if you don't stay with it, you're not going to finish. You're not going to do what you want to do if you don't do it. That's kind of, like that's kind of what I'm saying, but it's not that simple. The reason I say that is because in Germany, the work is, it tends to be slower. Germany is a very post-Christian nation. Um, I shared uh, with the Sunday School Hour, they've heard about Jesus for a long time. They've heard about the Bible for a long time. But you know this morning, and I hope that you know, that there is an eternity of difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Just knowing about him isn't good enough. It's insufficient. But at the same time, you ever, you ever try to teach someone who already knows everything? It's not really the easiest thing in the world to do. And I'm not, I, I, I don't want to be trite or, or generalize and say that all Germans are know-it-alls. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But their society in general has had Christianity part of their culture for a long, long time. I'll, just one example. We, were in a, we saw a church building from the year 900. That's a long time ago that they had a church building. The bells are still tolling, probably this morning even. We need to go and reach them. They're in spiritual darkness. And it's going to take time. It's going to take patience. There's a number of obstacles. They, they have Christianity in their past. And a lot of times they want to leave it in their past. Oh, yeah, no, we've moved beyond that. We don't really believe in those things anymore. We've, and, and we see that even in America a lot of times. And, and I think we see this too more and more. That when someone knows something about Jesus or about the Bible, a lot of times that's kind of an obstacle to help getting through to them with the message of the gospel. Oh, yeah, no, no, I already know all that. No, I'm, I'm good. Maybe you've seen that before. Yeah. So we're just, we're just, we want to be faithful. We want, we want to go and be faithful to what God has called us to in spite of what numbers may or may not be there. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not a, I don't want to be a pessimist. I don't want to have a doom and gloom attitude about what God has called us to. I believe that he can do a great work. I, I pray that he would give us a great harvest of souls, and I want to ask that you would please pray. Please pray that God would give us a great harvest of souls, and he would help us to be effective in reaching the Germans. Amen. But at the same time, we, we look at those who have gone before us, and many have gone before us, and a lot of them have not stayed by the testimony of veteran missionaries. We just need your prayers, and we need God's grace to be faithful okay. and to give our lives to serve him in Germany. Yes. Our second goal was to just learn the culture. And this is a little bit more practical, kind of obvious maybe, uh, but it's a very significant part of being a missionary. You live in a foreign country. They speak a different language and they just do things differently. And so I can go on and on about the German culture. The German people are, oh, I, I think they're a wonderful people. They have, uh, in a lot of ways, a lot to be proud of. They're very diligent. They're very uh, disciplined. They're very organized and structured and clean. Uh, their products are very coveted, or coveted around the world. If you drive a Mercedes or a BMW or an Audi or a Volkswagen, those are high-quality products that this, uh, this world desires. 
I was just sharing with the preacher this morning, Germany registered an $11 billion surplus uh, in their national budget. Uh, and a lot of that is due to the exports that they send all over the world. Um, Germany's beautiful. It, it really is. I'm from El Paso, Texas, uh, and it's dry there. We don't have a lot of trees. There's a lot of different shades of brown, which can be beautiful, you know, in its own. Like, especially when the sun rises, you know, like purpley, orangish, you know. But I got to be honest, Germany, the level of beauty is just, it's, it's an, at a different level. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's a wonderful vacation place if you, if you can go there. Many, it wouldn't surprise me if many of you have been there or know someone who has. Um, the food is good. I may come back on furlough a little bit larger than what I'm going. They are master bakers, pretzels, breads, cakes, pot. They're just, it's just really good over there. Um, the key, though, to any culture, I think, is the language. Without the language, you know, getting over there, just feel like an outsider. You don't know what people are saying. You don't know what's going on. So to that end, my wife and I both did a four-week intensive German course. Uh, it's the kind of course where they don't speak any English. It's all in German. He started off slow in a small class size and just kind of picked up steam. And so we were able to learn a lot. We still have a long way to go, but we got some basics down. And that's going to be our primary goal when we get back is to enroll in language school and become fluent in, in the language. I don't think there's anything more important for us to be able to speak to the hearts of the German people than to speak in their own language. And yeah. even in our short time, six months there, we saw it over and over and over again that when we utilized whatever little German we did know, they were so appreciative. They were, they were so thankful you could just see the change in their countenance. Uh, it, it meant something to them. And so uh, we thank, thank the Lord that he, excuse me, allowed us to make some progress in that area. We know that uh, one missionary encourages to invest in headache medicine just because German grammar is not the easiest thing in the world, but by God's grace, we hope to be able to learn to communicate with them. Our third goal was to, learn, to determine God where. Where do you want us to go? We knew Germany. That was clear. But uh, God has burdened us for the city of Essen. Uh, it's in a region of Germany called the Ruhrgebiet, the Ruhr Valley. During World War II, this was known as the heartbeat of Hitler's war machine. Very industrial. A lot, their artillery came from here. Their arms came from here. Their ammunition, a lot of those came from this uh, uh, highly industrial area. Um, it's now, even today, very densely populated. There's about 13 million people. And it's a kind of an urban sprawl situation. About 11 major cities there. Essen is in kind of the heart of the Ruhrgebiet. And as far as I have been able to find and to locate, there are no... Bible-believing Baptist churches in this entire region. It's very, very needy. Um, that's, that's our desire and that's our burden. Initially, though, in order to prepare to that end, we're going to be going to work with an established missionary, Brother Seth Richards. He's uh, been in Germany since he was five years old. Uh, he's in his 40s now. He's on his own and works very effective in reaching the German people. Uh, he's also sent out of our sending church, Hillcrest Baptist Church. We're just so excited we're at we're just over 90% of our support goal. We're just rounding the, the last corner, entering the home stretch. We're preparing to leave the field on April 22nd. And so please, uh, I want to I just challenge you. This isn't just a, a marketing thing. This is a tool. Amen. 
to help God's people to remember uh, that we need your prayers. Germany is very spiritually dark, and we're engaged primarily in spiritual work, and we face spiritual opposition. And so we need your help uh, to overcome that and to see God work. And so uh, with that being said, uh, if you have any questions after the service, I'd love to be able to talk to you more uh, about what God is doing, and I'd love to I'll be able to do that. Would would love to answer any question you might have. But uh, let's go ahead and get to First uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen. We're going to start here, but we're going to turn over in a, in a little bit to Second Corinthians in chapter number eight. And so I want to address this, and I, I really the more that I travel and that I have opportunity to do this, um, I just this excites me, uh, and, and I hope that that you'll get something out of out of this message this morning. Um, because I think it's so clear. I think it's so clear in God's word that we have a the biblical framework for the work of missions to continue. The biblical framework for the work of missions to continue today. All right. So let's go ahead and look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16 verse number 1. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, I just want to pause for a second, and so much is made today, I think, about the Word of God being relevant The Word of God applying to us today. And I just want to point out the fact that these words that we just read are relevant and they reverberate in their truth today. Even so do ye. Verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Let's go ahead and... Bow our heads and, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together in the Word this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your Word, for what you say to us in it, Lord. Thank you for its power and for its clarity. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me as I endeavor to clearly communicate this message. Lord, please give me wisdom. Please direct my words and my thoughts. Lord, I pray that you would give these people the focus and the energy to, to listen to you, Lord. They didn't come to hear from me. And, and I, in and of myself, do not have anything to offer them. But you do. You know the needs that are present in this room, and I pray that you would address those in the way that only you can. Lord, please do a mighty work in our midst. Lord, please meet with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to catch us up a little bit about what's going on, Paul, the apostle, started the church in Corinth. He left them. And then he heard some things that were going on in this church of Corinth, mostly negative. And so he's writing this letter to address a lot of those different issues. And right here, towards the end of his letter, he writes about this specific endeavor, this specific need that was present with them. Specifically, the famine that was going on in Jerusalem. You can go back to the book of Acts in chapter number 11 and 12 and read a little bit more about that later in your own time. We won't take time to look into everything. But there was a famine in Jerusalem and people were in need. People were starving. There wasn't Walmart stocked with shelves back then. Uh, If there was a bad crop, people hurt, people starved, people died. And so Paul sees that. 
going on in Jerusalem. And so right here, what we see in chapter 16 is that he, he encourages and really commands, he says here, cooperation. So um, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church. I didn't grow up giving to missions. I didn't grow up knowing or hearing any of this. And so as, as an adult, I approached this passage. Uh, I was tasked to study it. And as I study it, the longer I study it, the more clear it becomes to me that God has given us right here a very relevant, very clear framework, a pattern that we can follow in order for this work, the work of missions, to continue. And so I just want to draw a few parallels before, just by way of introduction here. Number one, the need that was present before them was greater than what any one church could fulfill on its own. There's a huge famine, a lot of people. Paul is recruiting this church from Galatia, the churches in Galatia, and he's also recruiting the church in Corinth. And we're going to see a little bit more that there were even other churches involved. And it's the same with missions today. Hillcrest Baptist Church is not, our sending church is not a small church. That they, we are the 10th family sent out of Hillcrest. Hillcrest could not do that without the partnership of other churches coming together for this great need. Okay, The need is for a ministry outside of the local church, a ministry to continue. So the church in Jerusalem is obviously not the church in Corinth, right? That's kind of self-explanatory, self-evident. Paul is writing and encouraging the Corinthians to not just take care of their own needs, but to be mindful of and to be willing to get involved with supporting another ministry. I think it's very clear right here in this passage. And I think that that's another pattern, another part of the framework that we have today as a local congregation. And I'll just say this, I don't know where you are as an individual on on giving and, and tithing, and I know this can be a very controversial subject, so I want to be careful. But as as a teenager, I got saved as a teenager, tithing made sense to me. It just did that as a member of a church, as a member of Hillcrest, I was receiving spiritual blessings, spiritual nourishment, spiritual encouragement. Therefore, it fell upon me as a member to help contribute to the lights, the air conditioning, the heating. It's kind of a big deal here in Iowa. To take care of the pastor. That's, that's That's so important for the members to take care of the needs of the church this church right what this passage is leading us to is beyond that as pastor mentioned even this morning that we have an obligation to be mindful not just of our own four walls but to look unto the harvest amen that's right to look unto the ends of the earth and see the need no there's not a famine in germany they're doing pretty well for themselves actually their money is worth more than ours which is bad for us but they're in spiritual darkness there's a spiritual famine the word of God is nowhere to be found so they need there's a great need there do you see that that we have a calling we have a command here to be involved in 
these kinds of endeavors and these kinds of efforts. And, and I'm, not, I'm not here teaching this or preaching this. God didn't lay this on my heart, I don't believe, because you don't have that heart, because you're not doing that, because you're not willing to do that. But I think that, just like me, there may be someone here who didn't grow up hearing this, and I think it can just be a good thing to do. And, and before I keep going, I just want to share my heart a little bit, because I know this can be a controversial topic, what I'm addressing this morning. And to be totally honest with you, I grew up with a family who was very cynical and still is today, actually, very skeptical about ministers and preachers and pastors and missionaries. That's me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, God wants me to be a missionary. Oh, really? Hmm. Going to be a missionary, huh? Well. Must be real nice to be a missionary. And, you know, all these stories and, oh, I knew this person and they did this and they did that. And this, that's kind of the attitude I grew up with. So whenever I heard for the first few years of my Christian life, somebody gets up and they teach about money or giving. It's like, okay, here we go again. One of these guys. And so if that's you, I totally understand where you're coming from. I was there in a lot of ways. Um... I would rather not, totally, to be totally honest with you, I would much rather not touch on this topic, address this issue, but I have to come to grips with the fact that God has called me to preach the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. And as much as I see and am convinced and, and at times am overwhelmed by the need that there is for missionaries to go all over the world... It's so important for God's people to understand this. And, and look, we're looking at, I really want to try my best to be very grounded and stand firmly on scriptural truth and scriptural principles. And not to try to invent or manipulate or twist things, but I think that if you're honest and you look at this, it's right there. So, just I'm just kind of getting that off my chest. I'm not apologizing for this message, but I just want to share, if you struggle with this, I understand. And, and, and my, my desire, my heart is not to twist your arm and see how much more we can squeeze it. That's not at all why I'm here. And that's not at all my, my intent, my desire. So Paul gives them two things, I think, in verse number two. He says, upon the first day of the week, which that's on Sunday, which gives significance to coming together at a church service. This is just for free. This isn't so, so much is made about man inventing church and, and, well, I don't need to go to church. To, it's right here. Look, Paul is commanding them because we can do more together. He is commanding them on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, to come together and give this offering to help the famine in Jerusalem. So the principle that I want to propose to you this morning is that he's, giving, he's leading them to give in a way that is strategic. First day of the week comes... Every seven days, just like it did 2,000 years ago. And if the Lord tarries is coming, in 2,000 years, it'll be every seven days. And so you can plan on that, right? God has given each of us a capacity to use wisdom. Okay? So what that would mean for this application would be, it's good for you to have a budget. If you don't do that, you need to do that. It's so, it's so wise. It's just wise to know what's coming in and what's going out. Otherwise, you might have that sensation of sand 
going through your fingers, right? Where did it all go? I, I don't know. I just had it and now it's gone. God has given us the capacity. Now, some of us have more capacity. My wife has a lot more capacity for wisdom than I do, and I'm thankful for that. But, but we need to do that. And I, I, the, re, the reason that you're doing missions the way you're doing it is, and bringing these commitments is not just so that you can pat yourselves on the back as a church, but so that the pastor can look at, okay, this is what was committed so we're going to plan on doing this. Does that make sense? Okay. It's, it's good and wise as an individual, and it's good and wise as a group or an organization to do that. He's leading them to give systematically or strategically. Number two, he says, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Now, he says every one of you, first of all, regardless of where they were in their status financially in Corinth, and there were a lot of different financial statuses in the church, he says, every one of you, first of all, we all have a role. We all have a part. Some are small, some are great. We all have a part. He says, lay, lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. And so the principle that I want to propose based on this is that he, gives, he leads them and therefore leads us to give in a way that is personal, specific to our situation. Um, there's different stages financially all over this room just like there would have been in Corinth um, life itself sometimes takes us through ups and downs I spoke a little bit about being a Bible college student which is synonymous with broke right not a lot of money during college or maybe even just regular college students I was not able to give as a college student as much as I am today and maybe there'll come a time when my physical age prohibits me from earning the same that I do now and so I may be able to give less than and so there's different stages even in life where we are able to do more or to do less but at the end of the day I think he's, he's leading them to do this because we all have access to the Holy Spirit of God hey I'm not here don't ask me how much God wants you to give I don't know I don't want to know you you can seek the Lord you have access to his throne Amen. And you can search and ask him. He'll tell you what he wants you to do. Yes. He wants us to give in a way that is strategic, and he wants us to give in a way that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Sensitive to his leading. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and turn over to Second Corinthians chapter number 8. So he's written to the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, we have a need. There's this famine. Let's go ahead and get behind this. Let's do this. And then in Second Corinthians... He reminds them because they failed to follow through with what they committed to do. So he says in these verses, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, or on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So we'll stop there for a moment. Paul is bringing to mind these churches in Macedonia. So he's encouraging the Corinthians, hey, we got we to gotta help these people out, guys. We, we got to get behind this. We got to get this done. And he brings up the churches in Macedonia, which would have been too churches the church of the Thessalonians 
and the church of the Philippians. So the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction. We don't know a lot about persecution today. And, and we can be thankful for that, that we can come and worship freely. But it wasn't so for the Thessalonians. Some of them gave their lives for the faith. And I think that the example that Paul is trying to, the point that he's trying to make is that we have a responsibility to follow through with God's word even when it isn't easy, even when it costs us something. Number two, and I want to focus a little bit more about this, is the church in Philippi, which would have been known for being a poor region, a poor place, a poor congregation. He says, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, I don't know what experience you might live in or what you may have experienced, but the Bible calls right here attention to deep poverty. I just, I just want to kind of, I want us to get it in our mind what, what that's talking about. Um, like, some of you are feeling hungry right now and you can't wait for lunch, right? <laughs> Amen. I'm, I'm with you. Well, these kind of people, they, they hunger without a lot of hope. You see what I'm saying? They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They, it's an exception when they don't go to bed hungry, when they don't wake up hungry. Their house is built, if they have one, out of whatever they can find. Yeah, I think that's still with us today. That's the, that's the kind of situation. I don't think the Bible is exaggerating that the Philippians were in deep poverty. I think they were just that. They were poor. They, they didn't have a lot. In spite of that, I think it's so significant that, that the Lord uses this poor group of people and he sets them up as the example that will stand in God's word, God's eternal word, as the example for us to follow in this endeavor, in this work. He says, uh, their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. Amen. Now think about that statement for just a second. Paul is telling the Corinthians that the Philippians did more than they could do. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? How can somebody do more than they can do? That's just, just contradicting yourself, right? Unless you factor in the grace of God. The grace of God working in the hearts of the Philippians, drove them. It compelled them to do more than what was expected, to do more than the minimum, to do more than they could do. Amen. Do you see that? For to their power, yea, and beyond their power, God's grace working in them drove them to be an amazing example of sacrifice. Look at verse 4. I think it paints an even clearer picture. He says, Praying us with much entreaty. That's probably not a phrase you use all the time. Teenagers, Mom, I pray you with much entreaty, let me borrow the car so I can go out. No, that's right. But what it's, what it's depicting for us is insistence. 
please. Please. So why would they have to be insistent? What would, what would, so what kind of situation? I think I'm going to propose that this paints for us a picture of a humbling experience for someone. In that they came to the church in Philippi and they described the need of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem. These people are starving. These people are dying. Remember, they didn't have a lot. But they were compelled to do more than they could do. And maybe this individual, I, I, it doesn't say specifically, so you don't have to agree, but I think it's on safe ground here. I, um, I love Chick-fil-A. I love, I love Chick-fil-A. Uh, we, were, we went out to eat with a missionary one day, and uh, you know, they invited us. We got there, and he said, okay, come on, get what you want. It's on me. So I said, oh, no, you don't. No, 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 no. See, if a pastor wants to take us out and pay, you know, I'm not going to argue with the pastor. You're a missionary. I'm a missionary. You're not paying for me. You don't need to do that. Let's just, you pay for you and I'll pay for me. It's fine. You don't, you don't have to do that. And he said, no, 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 come on, come on. Just come here. Just get what you want, please. I insist. The reason he had to be insistent was because I was reluctant Right? Okay. I think, I think it's likely that this individual saw what the Philippians had and said, well, I mean, what about, I mean, what about you, man? Like, how are you going to take care of you? And how are you going to take care of, I don't know. That's good. You see that? Yeah. And so because of that, no, please. Please take this. No, look, look, I know it's not a lot, but please. Do you see that there? He says praying us with much entreaty. I think, I think that's the most likely. The other possibility would be that they just, they heard this and they were just so, so excited. I want to do it. Like it's just, I don't know, that, that doesn't fit as well. I think the other scenario is more likely and so that's what I'm going to preach. And so I'm preaching, so that's what I'm saying, all right? <laughs> I think, I think the Philippians... We're just so moved. And look, it's not like they felt like they were going to solve the problem, right? They weren't bringing in coffers of gold. They weren't bringing in huge, you know, cows. They weren't, they didn't have that kind of stuff. It's not like they thought that by their contribution, they're going to eradicate the famine in Jerusalem. No, that wasn't it. But they, they could do something... They, they had a part, God moved them, and God moved them to do something. And they wouldn't put up with no for an answer. They said, no, please, we want to do something. We want to, here, take this bag of rice, take this little goat, take not very much. Probably, I think if we could see the, the offering, it might, like, remind us of the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, just kind of like things that are put together. I don't know. It wasn't probably much. But God's grace drove, drove them to do it. And in, in, so, in so doing, they were an example to even the Corinthians. What an example of sacrifice. I think that's powerful. But there's no example more powerful than what we find in verse number 9. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... 
yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a second and think back to the Gospels. The Bible never tells us about his nice residence, does it? Nice mode of transportation. About the extravagant meals they had. About the nice clothes that Jesus wore. Doesn't talk about that, does it? Paul just said he was rich. But on this earth, he was never rich. He didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a lot of stuff. He was not a man of means, was he? No, I think he's alluding to and referring to something that is greater than material possessions. I think he's alluding to the pre-existence, to the eternality of Christ. Before he came to dwell in a robe of human flesh, he was. And he had a high and lofty position in heaven. I don't think anyone, any one of us will ever really know the magnitude of the humiliation that Jesus went through, the, the greatness of his condescension to come, to leave heaven, being surrounded, being glorified by the angels, to come down. We won't know this side of eternity how great that sacrifice was. Amen. But he did it because he loved us. Yes. Love drove him, Amen. just as it did the Philippians. That's good. Love drove him to sacrifice and we can talk a long time this morning about the sacrifice not only in coming but in dying mm -hmm. for us it's because he loved us Amen. yep he was never rich on earth but he sacrificed far more than any of us could have to give yeah. All right. so we're talking about missions and we're talking about this work and we're talking about sacrificing for the benefit of others. And one question that I, I hope to help you with is, is brought up in verse number eight. Go ahead and look there. It says, Paul addressing the Corinthians. He's trying to get them behind this movement, this cause. But in verse eight, he says, I speak not by commandment. Speak not by commandment, but by, uh, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. So stop there for a second. He's saying, look, I'm not commanding you to do this. Which as a preacher, I'm like, Paul, come on. You got them right there. Just lay it on them, man. But that's not what he does. He doesn't have the authority to do that. And I'm, and I'm thankful he, he doesn't. And there's a reason for it. Not commanded. Remember, this isn't just Paul's words. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, I, I'm not speaking to you by commandment. Right. I'm not giving you a commandment. So I'll explain it this way. I love peaches. Peaches are my favorite fruit. My grandma had a peach tree when I was growing up. And I just couldn't ever wait for them to be ripe. I love them. They're my favorite um, when I was a teenager, my parents came from the store and they handed me the perfect, best peach ever in the history of peaches. I devoured that thing. It was the perfect ripeness, not too tart, but not too like mushy and just messy. It was just 
delicious. It was wonderful. I got to the end of that peach, and I, I said, you were created for better things. You, you must go on, peach pit. <laughs> and so my parents had this garden. On the, I know, I'm weird, yeah. Um, my, my parents had a garden on the side of the house, and so I just kind of dug a little hole, and I put that sea, that pit, down there. And then I kind of forgot about it until about, I don't know, it was like a year and a half or two years later. I'm not an arborist. I'm from El Paso. We don't have a lot of trees down there. But I know the leaves of a peach tree. They're different. They're, very, they're unique in my mind. They're kind of slender and they kind of curve down and they like are folded in the middle. So when I saw that tiny little green thing, two inches tall, I said, hey, that's my peach tree. I planted that. My mom was all excited. You know what I didn't do? I didn't go down to the city of El Paso and have them write up an ordinance. This tree shall produce peaches under penalty of death. No pears, apples, or watermelon. Put a sign out by the tree. Listen, tree, you better produce peaches or else. That would be crazy. It'd be a waste of time. It'd be pretty ridiculous. It's totally unnecessary. Why? Because that peach seed had within it a genetic code that God designed, right? right. That that by the nat natural process of it receiving nutrients from the ground and, and water and sunlight, it would naturally grow and produce peaches. Mm -hmm. And it has. And they're good. In the same way, when we got saved, God made us a new creature. And he put within our hearts a new genetic code, a, a new nature. And that nature, by the natural process of growing closer to your Savior and growing in the knowledge of his word and looking around you and looking at the darkness that this world is in, yeah. you will naturally be driven to do something. That's right. Maybe God's working on your heart. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. I don't know. I know that there's a need for laborers. Maybe God's calling you to get involved in a, in a greater way right here in this church. Amen. Maybe God is, is moving on your heart to do something to help missionaries go and preach the word. Paul gives them a challenge at this, in the second part of verse 8. He says, But by the occasion of the forwardness of others, and listen to this, and to prove the sincerity of your love. I don't think that Paul is saying that in, in a challenging way, in a, in a doubting way. I think he's rather saying that in an encouraging way. You have the love of Jesus in you. It's going to work its way out. Let it work its way out. Do something. If you say that you have God's love, it's going to be evident. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
I just want to encourage you that he came to this world and he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And he's working in your life to bring you here. Because he doesn't want you to die and to go to an eternal hell. And there's people in this room who care about you and who are praying for you. And, and there's a, a preacher here, Pastor Haley, who comes up and he labors in the word. Yes. Not just because it's something to do, but because he wants to see God do a work to reach this community. Amen. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, I want to challenge you and encourage you. Today can be the day that you meet your Savior. Yes. You can know that heaven is your home. Child of God, what is it that God is leading you to do? We each... We each have a part. Amen. Just do your part. I'm not here to tell you what that is. You have the Holy Spirit of God. Will you just seek Him this morning? Seek Him for what He would have you to do. That the work of missions might continue. Dear Father, we thank You this morning. That You love us. And that You care for us. And that You work to help us. And that, Lord, You love the world and You want to see work done in this world Lord please help us not to be afraid of what you're calling us to do Lord help us to be faithful to do what you've called us to do please give us the grace to do so I pray in Jesus name Amen